Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Believe Cast. Thank you for tuning in week after week. You guys are fantastic. I love you. The support has been just amazing. And we're saving lives with these stories. And I just can't tell you enough. I get emails and texts from people all over the world saying, hey, I listened to this episode and it, it, it helped me. Uh, find uh, meaning in moving forward in my struggles. And so I can't thank you guys enough. Um, I do need to give a shout out to our sponsors, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried and Jensen, um, iHill Institute, Veracity Networks, and Living Interventions Recovery. And so thank you so much for uh, believing in me. And today we are joined by Coot Blackson. Coot, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you guys are in for a treat today, guys. And I'm going to give you a little background on Coot. Uh, he's a best-selling author. He's a transformational expert. He's known all over the world for his program, The Liberation Experience. Uh, he was born uh, with a dad who was known as the Miracle Man. His mom's from Japan. At eight years old, he was a speaker. At Imagine this, speaking at eight years old in front of thousands of people. I mean, I can't imagine how scary that would be, but uh, uh, he's also, when he was at uh, age 14, he was ordained as a minister in his father's church. He's a very successful speaker. Um, he, his mission is simple. It's to awaken, and inspire people across the planet to access their inner freedom, live authentically and fulfill their true life's purpose. Uh, he's got a book called You Are the One. And he's just amazing. And I can't wait for you guys to hear his story. You're going to be blown away. This guy's amazing. We're very lucky to have him. Coot, again, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, man. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So why don't we start, man? You've had quite the childhood. You're, you're from Ghana, <laughs> West Africa. Yes. And boy, I want to know a little bit more about how you were as a child. Eight years old, you're speaking to people. But tell us about how you were as a child and a little bit about your mom and dad. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. my father's from Ghana, as Ghanaian as you can get. My mother <laughs> is Japanese, as Japanese as you can get. I grew up in London. We had to flee Ghana because of a bloody political coup uh, okay. and ended up in London. And now, you know, I've been living in the U.S. since I was 18 and partly Mexico and consider myself a citizen of the world. Um, how my parents met, that's a story we can get into if you want to at some point. Yeah. Um, but as a child, I was a very empathetic kid and I would feel people's pain and I felt people mm. suffering very deeply. And there was yeah. always a part of me that wanted to alleviate people's suffering, alleviate their pain. I just didn't know how I would do that. Sure. And so my upbringing was, was a little unusual. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was unusual while I was living it. I just thought it was normal i thought this was everyone's existence and so mm. um like my first memories yes were uh being like six seven years old and being lost in the crowd and seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand and she couldn't walk she picks up the sand that this man walks on this man wasn't aware and literally wipes it on her face i'm watching this and she stands up and no week after week i grew up seeing 
blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. And the same man who sent you picked up my father will look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick, stand up, put his hands on them, boom, they will stand up. The type of stuff that you wonder, you see on TV and yeah. you wonder, come on, is this real? This is, <laughs> right. this is set up. But you know, there were no cameras and I saw it every day and I knew wow. my father. And so I yeah. didn't think anything wow of it. I just thought it was the norm. And so the blessing in that for me was I just grew up with a sense of no limits. You know, wow. I grew up with a yeah. sense that anything was possible. And I think that was a gift and a blessing in that. Um, Absolutely. When yeah. I was age eight, I, I, you know, I think also at that time, you know, my father built 300 churches, by the way, in Ghana, West Africa, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of followers, a Amazing. huge church in London. At its height, there were about 5,000 people. And so in my father's church, there were a lot of folks that didn't have a lot, let's just say were poor, were not that educated. Right. So, and yet seemed to have every reason to not be happy, but were really generous and happy people. On the other hand, I got a scholarship to a free scholarship to a very prestigious school. And I went to school with literally like presidents, prime ministers, children and billionaires, children. And so wow. they had every reason to be happy, but were miserable. And so I began that also began a, 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 a questioning process for me at a young age of like, what is the purpose of life and why? Yeah. What's the nature of life? And like, it doesn't make sense. You know, is, is the purpose of life just to wake up, make money, go on vacation, buy a few cars and then die? Like, surely there has to be more to the purpose of life than that. And what is it? And that began a, a questioning, a seeking, a quest. Yeah. My father had all of these books on his bookshelf from religious books, spiritual books, mystical books, meditation books. And that began a, an obsession, I would say, of, of wow. trying to figure life yeah. out. And I read all these books and <laughs> just, you know, my first self-help book was, uh, creative visualization by a woman called Shakti Gawain, an old school okay. uh, uh, book, which was all about <laughs> if you can think it and believe it, then you can achieve it. And so that opened my mind. And so when I was age eight, my, my speaking career began because that's when my father threw me in the audience and said, my son is speaking, had no idea. And <laughs> words started coming out of my mouth and people wow. were, were, were touched in some way. And at 14, um, a pivotal moment was... I was basically ordained as a minister and my father okay. announced to the congregation unbeknownst to me that I would be his successor and I'd be taking over his ministry. And I knew I wanted to help people, but I knew that this wasn't my path. And I remember my heart sinking because the feeling of knowing that, that my life was set out for me and yeah. an entire roadmap was planned for me, all these expectations and hopes and dreams pinned on me. And this wasn't what I felt was true this wasn't what i felt my purpose my destiny was but at 14 i was too afraid to speak my truth i was yeah. too afraid to communicate yeah. what i felt my fear was if i dared to be myself if i dared to express my truth if i dared to be who i really am then i'm going to lose my father and i won't be loved and i think so many of us in life we hold back who we are we hold yeah. back our voice our For expression sure. our creativity yeah out of fear and we, we let fear hijack us and so 14 to 18 i said nothing stuffed it lived in this kind of internal conflict and question and depression yeah. and confusion and and wanted to fit in but i felt this calling when i was 18 actually before that 
it was 18 when I had the courage to start owning this calling. The calling I felt around 14, 15 was I wanted to come to the US and I wanted to go into this field of self-help. Now you might wonder why, because all of the authors I've read about, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, uh, Jack Canfield, yeah. Tom Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williams, Louise, they all lived in Southern California, most of <laughs> right. them. And, yeah. and they all lived in LA. And I thought, <laughs> this is the Mecca. And I wanted yeah. to come and meet these people, go into this field. I wanted to write books. And so this, this, my soul was calling me. And I yeah. think sometimes what your soul guides you to do won't always make sense to your conscious mind. And what your right. soul guides you to do will often not be convenient. But I felt this calling. And so at 18, it became undeniable. And I had to make a choice. Do I go to university? I chose not to go to university. And I looked into my future and realized I could follow the expected path right. that was set out for me. Uh, and I could be successful following the path that was set out for me. But if I don't have myself, if I don't have my truth, if I don't have my own integrity, then what kind of success is that? That you can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not following someone else's life. And that's when I realized I have to speak to my father. I have Ooh. to reclaim my life. And it was honestly terrifying. Sometimes yeah, I can people, imagine. Talk, people talk about like <laughs> being fearless. Yeah. I was full of fear, terrified, <laughs> shaking. You know, I thought my life was over. Yeah. But I knew if I didn't follow my truth, yeah. it was a kind of soul suicide. And the pain of that was so, in, it was so intense. It yeah. was so strong that I don't think I had a choice in that moment. And at 18, I made a, a decision that changed my life. I looked my father in the eyes and I felt heartbroken because I knew I would be betraying him. Yeah. And, and, and my heart was breaking, his heart would break. And I told him, I'm not taking over your ministry. He said, are you sure? I, I said, yes. And we didn't speak for two years. Yeah. And it wow. was really challenging. And sometimes people say, well, when you follow your dream and find your purpose, ah, life is easy, synchronicity, life, everything yeah. flows. I think sometimes when you find your dream, that's yeah. when the challenges really begin. Yeah. And those challenges kind of are perhaps soul tests that we have to go through to develop the mental, the emotional capacity and the strength to develop the, the soul force so right. that we, we are capable of fulfilling the dream and the vision. And I had the conversation with my father. And I've always believed that if you follow your soul, if you follow your truth, if yeah. you don't compromise what's true, the universe will support you and you will always end up in the right place. And I believe that, I believe it to this day with my whole heart, even though the route that you take might not be what you most expect. I've always believed if you follow your truth, you will end up in the right place. And cut a long story short, when I had this conversation with my father, yeah, I felt as though I was dropped in the desert of darkness with no idea where the hell I was going, <laughs> no college degree, no skill, no support, no contacts in America, but I felt it in my heart. And that's when that day, I remember saying a prayer to, the, to God, to the universe saying, okay, I've been given this vision, like you have to guide me. And that day I was in the library of my school and someone gives me a magazine called The Economist. I look in the back of the magazine, it says the American government's given away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. Oh, wow. And yeah. I end up winning, you know, long story short, I end up winning a green card in the green card lottery, the DV1 green card lottery. This is what brought me to the US with two suitcases one suitcase full of self-help books, one suitcase full of clothes. 
uh, yeah. 800, 800 to a thousand dollars in my pocket and just showed up landed in los angeles and began a life and found these teachers and mentors and authors and studied with some of them and years later what really shifted things was i began to travel you know i wanted to really know I wanted to know true. I wanted to know who I was, not just yeah. reading it in a book. I was tired of reading it. I wanted to know like who am I really? I wanted to feel it. I wanted to, yeah. to to integrate it. I wanted to embody it. And so I decided I was going to shave my head, take a backpack, sell everything, break up with my girlfriend. <laughs> and uh I would say I went through a midlife crisis at like 21 years old. And I started traveling the world and I went to Thailand, studied with monks, Israel, studied with rabbis. I ended up in India uh, and had some really profound sort of awakening spiritual experiences in India. And it was out of that experience of feeling such a deep sense of freedom that I felt guided to come back to the US and started coaching people before coaching was popular and yeah. you know, a kid yeah. coaching people. But I felt yeah. such a sense of freedom and a freedom yeah. that wasn't yeah. dependent on like I, I didn't have a big bank account i didn't have a career i didn't have a house i didn't have anything but i felt fulfilled and free and i thought i want everyone to feel this freedom and it was out of working with one person and then, then another person came and another person came and it just started expanding and growing around the world and one person came five person came five people came 10 people 20 people and it just grew and expanded into seminars and large wow. groups and you know that that was the evolution yeah a, a, a little bit no thank you very well said thank you for painting such a beautiful picture you know now you know you've been on like the larry king show npr dr drew Fox and Friends, you speak to large audiences all over the world. You know, you know, you've written national bestselling books. Uh, you're doing all these great things. You know, I, I'm so impressed. I can only imagine how hard that would have been to have that conversation with your dad, because again, yeah. he's probably thinking, hey, join the family business, so to speak, right? Exactly. And you're, you're, you're going to take over and you probably would have been so proud of that. I know you, you didn't speak for two years. How How is the relationship now? Are you guys does he see what you're doing now? And is he just kind of blown away going, wow, look at the, look at the dream Coot had and, and where it took you. Yeah. I, the relationship now is really good. Uh, partly because of me, <laughs> uh, you know, when, when I was around 20 something in, the, in my early twenties, I, I was pretty angry at my father when I came to the U S I felt abandoned by him. I felt like, mm -hmm unsupported by him i felt rejected by him i felt all these things and yeah. i remember wallowing in my tiny apartment yeah. in koreatown uh on the floor because i had no furniture and feeling sorry for myself and i had a moment that 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 began the opening i felt such resentment towards my father that it was eating me up and i remember just one day kind of feeling this reality like Nobody owes you anything. Your father yeah. doesn't owe you anything. Your parents yeah. don't owe you anything. Sure, yeah. it would have been nice. It yeah. would have been wonderful. But they don't owe you anything. He gave you life and he did the best he could. And no one owes you anything. And in that moment, I realized wow. that unless I took responsibility for who I am today and who I am now and what I do from this moment on forward, I would be giving so much power away to my father because at a young age, yeah. part of the drive, you know, of coming to America was also like, 
I'm going to show you. I'm going to show my dad and prove to him that I'm yeah. good enough, that I can make it. Screw you. F you. I don't need anybody. I don't need <laughs> yeah. you. And, and, and I didn't realize that there was such a, uh, an anger that was driving me, but I wasn't conscious of it. Like yeah. how I started becoming aware of it was I met this beautiful woman and she said, I was dating her 20 some years old. And she said, uh -huh. could I think you have some anger towards your father? <laughs> My response was goodbye, end of the relationship. <laughs> but then I met another woman who I felt badly in love with, thought was the love of my life, my yes. soulmate. And she said, uh, the same thing. I think you have some anger issues towards your father. <laughs> and I said, and I said, because I loved her, yeah, I wanted it to work. I thought mm, maybe I need to like heal this stuff. And that yeah. took me deep into therapy. And one, you know, 22, I think I was 23, one weekend. I did this men's retreat because I'm like, I can't lose this woman. I got to figure out this anger yeah. that's in me. And, and, and if I don't deal with it, she's going to break up with me because I got yeah. this anger. And, <laughs> and I went into this men's retreat, you know, into the, into the jungle, basically into the forest, into the woods with these men, a seminar weekend. And I really got to acknowledge the anger that I had towards my father. Mm. And I, and I, and for the first yeah. time I got to acknowledge the pain of feeling rejected by my father, the yeah. pain, the abandonment, the lack of support, and just got to acknowledge my anger. And when I got to feel the anger and express the anger and, and release the anger, what was left was a profound sadness, a profound grief. And underneath that grief was so much love. And, and, and I realized that I loved my father. It didn't matter what he was and what he wasn't. And I got in touch with such a love. And through that, I was able to forgive him. Like, really, just, just forgive him. He did the best. Like, yeah. He didn't have a father. And, yeah. and he did the best he knew how to do as a man. And, and I think I was so attached to him being a certain way and him loving me a certain way. Yeah. that I wasn't open to receiving the love that he was able to give me because I so wanted him to love me the way I wanted to be loved. Yeah. And so in that forgiveness, a miracle happened. And it's been an evolution in our relationship, but in that forgiveness, a miracle happened. And the miracle that happened was, I would say within a week, I mean, it was a few years ago. So I would say within yeah. a week of that real forgiveness, I got to yeah. the point of like, it doesn't matter if he changes, it doesn't matter anything that he does or doesn't do, I love him and I I forgive him. I truly forgave him. And in that moment, I realized I was forgiving him, not for him. I was forgiving him to set myself free. And I think that's the real forgiveness is to set yeah. ourselves free. Wow. And when we hold judgment and grudges towards someone else, we actually give our power to that person without conscious awareness. Yeah. And we, 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 we abdicate our freedom to that person saying, well, when they apologize, when they make amends, then I'm going to forgive them. And now we're just a victim. We're not free. Yeah. And, and so I just want to tell everyone, like, nothing and no one is worth your freedom. And to really get complete with another person. Like, life is short. So if you're waiting until someone apologizes to you, yeah. you could be waiting forever. You could Long be waiting time. for a lifetime. You could be waiting till the end of your life. It may happen. It may never happen. But to really get complete with someone, like to truly get complete, is not about the other person. To really get complete is recognizing that it's about your relationship with the other person within yourself. Not oh, even wow. your relationship with them, 
But for me, it was about my relationship with my father within myself that had nothing to do with him. He was the same. He didn't change. He was what he was. But when I realized ah, it's my inner relationship with him and how I'm holding him within myself, then that was part of the freedom. So I realized I can be free regardless of him apologizing or taking responsibility. Didn't matter. And so when I really let him go, within a week, he called me out of the blue. I was shocked because he never called. Yeah. And and, and all he said was, son, I think I think we need um, we need to talk. You know, I think Mm. we need to have a conversation. It's time. It's time. And and, and I I remember listening (laughs) to the phone with like a tear coming down my face because I really felt the the love and I felt the the gratitude for the for the process of forgiveness. So if anyone as you're listening, like holding on is not worth it. And holding on to being right. And, and I realized I was attached to being right. Yeah. And I was attached to being right so I could prove how wrong my father was. <laughs> right. And in that process of trying to prove how wrong my father was, I was miserable. I was unhappy. I was resentful. And it was unworth, it was not worth it because it didn't fix our relationship. Right. It didn't bring our, us closer. And you end up wasting so much time. And so it over the decades, you know, over the last couple of decades, my relationship with my father has improved. It really improved. And this is kind of jumping ahead, but we can no, it's okay. Back. Please. Yeah. Uh, my mother passed away about four years ago. And my mother and I were like this. By the no, way. I'm sorry to hear and, that. Yeah. And, and my mother passed away about four years ago. She was 10 years younger than my father. And I always expected her to pass away, my father to pass away first. Yeah. And when she passed away, after she was gone, I felt the connection with my mother. And it was like I spoke to her soul and I, and yeah. I asked her, I mean, whether I was speaking to her or not, I'm not sure, yeah. but it was a, it, it felt like a, a sense of communication. And I said, like, mom, why did you pass away early? And she said, I passed away early so that I could gift you a relationship, a deeper relationship with your father. Wow. And so that's when I really, and I, and I, I was already at peace with him, but it's not like we were like yeah. close, but, but yeah. I didn't harbor any anger. And she said, I, I wanted to gift you this relationship because if I was still alive, you and I would be close. But now that I'm not here, like she removed herself from the physical. Yeah. So there was just me and my father. And that's when I realized that part yeah. of my, Part of my soul work was to heal to the next level, the relationship. And part of that healing was to love him profoundly, to honor him profoundly. So how I really changed my relationship to the next level over the last four years Uh was I decided that I was going to call this man. And you have to understand him and I didn't, there there was forgiveness, but we didn't speak. I could go three, four weeks without talking to him because it was like, well, relationship is two way. Then he needs to call I dropped everything. I dropped everything about everything and said, I love this man. He's my father. I'm going to honor his soul. I'm going to honor him as my father, as my elder. And I'm going to show up in a way that I can be proud, no matter what happens, of how I showed up. Forget yeah. how he, what he does, how I showed up as a son. And part of the showing up was for myself. So yeah. that if he dies, I have no regrets. And I, wow. started, I decided... I'm going to make a, a, a spiritual commitment as a spiritual practice to call him every day. He lives in Ghana. To call him 
every day I started visiting him three times a year in Ghana. That's number one. To just sit with him for four or five days and do nothing, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I decided I'm going to call him every day as a duty, a sacred duty to love him and honor his soul. Nothing wow. in it for me. Yeah. I'd have got nothing from it, really. You know, he didn't really talk. He doesn't really say that much. But I said, I'm going to love this man until the day he dies. So when he dies, and he's a tough character, but when he dies, <laughs> yeah. he will know that he yeah. was loved by me. And that gesture, Todd, that gesture, I think, transformed my father. Because wow. no one had ever showed up for him just in that selfless way. In that way, yeah. And, and after a year or two of him realizing, wow, my son is just every day call, religiously calling him. Yeah. Not, not, you know, hi, dad, how you doing? How you feel? Just, just every day. It, 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 it healed something between us. It healed something for him and I. It healed something for him. Yeah. And I think it just, it alchemized our relationship where the level of admiration and respect that he felt for, because he knew based on how he was as a father, I didn't have to do this. I could have just said, screw you, man. You weren't there for me. Like, yeah, what, sure. What the and he realized that I wasn't doing that. And I think the level of respect yeah. that it evoked in him was really, really profound to the point where, We'll speak, and now he says, "I love you so much. I respect you so." This never happened as a kid. I love <laughs> right. you so much. I respect yeah. you so much. I, you know, and, and so it's really healed the relationship and the karma and 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 our souls contract and connection. So we, we've come to a very beautiful place. Man, that is beautiful. That is like a, for lack of a better saying, it is a sermon on forgiveness. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. That was beautiful. You know, you're, you're doing a lot of amazing things and there's so much I want to talk about. Sure. Let's you know, um, you, you do, you know, you have this liberation experience Will you talk about that and what that looks like and what that is and explain that to our listeners. Yeah. I, I don't do the liberation experience really anymore. Oh, it's don't a, you? Okay. Yeah. But I'll just say like, it's a one-on-one -on -one journey and, and just like, like, like when I started doing the liberation experience, liberation experience is a 12 day, 14 day journey, let's say around the two week journey to India. I take one person to India. I take all your passport, take all your money. You have a backpack, a pair of clothes. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> you have no idea where you're going. You sign uh -huh. your will in case you don't come back. Uh, <laughs> I make you face death, you know, and, 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 and I put you through a two week transformational journey that is designed to turn you inside out and help you face yourself to find yourself to free yourself so that you can truly experience what it is to be truly free truly yeah. free and so on a technical gotcha. part it's an immersive journey 24 7 journey you give me permission to do take you to the edge of wherever's necessary yeah. we're in 14 cities in 12 days it's insanely transformative and amazing uh planes trains you know yeah <laughs> it, it's a it's a crazy journey and, sure. and ultimately how it came about uh is when i went to india on the first time in my early 20s i was on the back of a train in the poorest section in india and in a state called bihar where, where mm -hmm. like the net worth of, of the average person is 15 20 dollars if you sold everything Jeez. and the poverty and the 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 
the illiteracy rate is, is like 80, 90%, at least when I was there at the time. And so I found myself on the back of the train on the third class section of the train. And imagine a sardine can situation, it's hot, it's 120 yeah. degrees outside. I'm with the poorest people in the world. There's a mother there with five children that one of the, the kids, the head of this kid is hanging off of the train. And I realized like, Wow. The suffering of humanity that we don't feel in our daily life. Here we are. Yeah. I'm in LA. I'm not sure yeah. where you are, but life yeah. is good. Everything we're in our bubbles. You know, yep. obviously, you know, we all face our hardships. But sure. I thought there are people dying right here. There are people that are experiencing such a different reality, and yeah. I'm not even aware of it. I'm just living yeah. my life, and it yeah. broke my heart to feel that because I thought if this kid fell out of this train right now at 100 miles an hour life nobody would even care and and, yeah. and and my heart broke open to feel the suffering of humanity that let's say 60 70 percent of human beings go through right now that i'm not even aware of i don't even think about you know yeah. i'm not sensitized to so here i am crying for like two three hours on the train and then i look into this mother's eyes and as i look into her eyes i see that there was a connection like what was looking at me was looking at her Mm. And, and, and I felt this oneness and my heart broke because I felt love. And I think love is the recognition of the shared oneness of what we are all as being nest. And so my heart yeah. cracks open in this feeling of love. Yeah. And, and I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, Bill Gates, uh, Oprah, the head of Google, the head of Nike, People in leadership positions were on this train having this experience. Yeah. And that's when I that's when I sort of had the initial vision uh, in 2001, I think it was, of the liberation experience in India. Oh, okay. But I thought no one's going to be crazy enough to do this. I had just started <laughs> coaching people. And so I yeah. built my coaching business. So by 2006, I felt the calling. It's time to create that crazy journey. You know, it's time to create okay. that crazy journey. <laughs> and, 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 oh, and so essentially... It's about freedom. You know, the journey is about freedom. Yeah. The work I do is about helping people become free. Become free. Uh, yeah. Because we think we're free. Like, oh, we're so free. But the moment you take away someone's iPhone, you know, the moment we take away someone's identity, the moment we take away someone's makeup, someone's wallet, yeah. someone's status, freedom collapses. For me, the type of freedom, real freedom is a freedom that is not dependent on external factors. Real yeah. freedom is a freedom of knowing who you are, a freedom of being a true in inner security and so i create you know even in my seminars in my large group small group yeah. events it's very experiential where i create an environment and processes that help you become aware of all those places where you're not free so that you can see them and then start helping you move beyond them you know look yeah. as children we're born free yeah if you look at a child yeah a child is free totally a child free. will jump on a table yeah and and they will sing they don't care if they're well it's funny you say that it's funny you say that could i have a four-year-old granddaughter and she yeah. believes she's a horse see <laughs> she goes she's, around and plays like a horse yeah she's it's not limited and she's right. not thinking i'm crazy for thinking i'm a horse exactly until, unless you were to tell her which yeah you're crazy. That's bad. That's wrong. You know, <laughs> yeah. and society does. And so she'll, you know, a kid will jump on the table and sing. Don't care if they're not Adele. A child will run naked. Yep. Doesn't think, ah, oh, my fat. What, what do I look exactly. like on Instagram? Yeah. They're just being whole, perfect, mm. uh, complete, 
in touch with the essence, in touch with the light, in touch with the divine spark. You look yeah. into a child's eyes, they're just oh. unconditioned, pure love and freedom. You know, yeah. they're just being that. So what the hell happens to us? We're yeah. born, we incarnate into a preset framework of conditioning and yeah. our parents, God bless them, they're doing yep. the best that they can do, <laughs> as you've been yeah. a parent, best that oh, they yeah. can do based on their childhood and their conditioning and their upbringing and ancestral you know, stuff. And so yeah. we're often born into some, some level of dysfunction and maybe dad was an alcoholic, maybe mom had mental health issues, maybe they're fighting, maybe there's divorce, maybe there's abuse in some way, yeah. maybe they were great people, but they just didn't even have the emotional capacity to know how to meet our needs. And yeah. so two things happen that I think it's important that we are aware of. The first thing is we learn all sorts of strategies, um, often unconsciously, to shut down, disconnect, and not feel the pain of our environment to not feel the pain of what's going on. So we start shutting down disconnect, develop all these defense mechanisms to not feel the pain of mom and dad are fighting all the time and it's too painful. So we, we, we erect all of these walls and survival mechanisms so we don't feel the pain. We suppress those emotions, suppress yeah. that pain, stuff it, stuff it, stuff it. Wall, layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of unfelt emotion build up that, that cover up our authentic lights and now we're stuck inside of this pattern that we've learned yeah. to become as a way to not feel now mm. we we develop the defense mechanism that we go into the world with that we think is who we are as a way so that we never feel that pain ever again wow. then we also go into the world with the sense of you know, who do i need to be in yeah. order to be loved by dad and mom and school and society and so for me so yeah. we start contorting ourselves again unconsciously into this version of ourselves that we think we need to be in order to get love validation approval love validation approval we start developing a role a mask a persona yeah. and we become this person that we think is who we are not realizing that who we've become to avoid pain to get love is not who we really are it's yeah. just a conditioned set of patterns that we've yeah. learned to adopt and we hold tightly to that life and society reinforces and now we so identify with that ego we so identify with that that now yeah. we limit that we end up limited and not free and that's why i think many of us we feel like i have so much love inside so much love to get, but it's stuck it's i have so much potential but it's stuck inside of our conditioning and so as human beings we are conditioned we're just not aware of it. And that's where yeah. people say, no, this is just who I am. And so for me, growing up as the preacher's kid, I, you know, I was conditioned to be the good son, the perfect one, the responsible one, the caretaker, always being polite, always being appropriate, couldn't feel bad. That was my conditioning. And so there was so much of my authenticity that I ended up suppressing without even knowing it. And so I asked people in my work, yeah. is who you are, who you really are? Or is it simply who you've been conditioned to be? Because the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. And we think we're free. We think we have free will, but we're not aware that we're conditioned. And so I think we have to first, in the transformational path, become aware that we're conditioned. Yeah. Then we have to start witnessing and observing our patterns of conditioning and how they run our lives and how they limit us. 
then we also have to be willing to, and this is really the nature of my work through the liberation experience or you know, coaching. I actually yeah. say, I don't coach people. I uncoach people. I <laughs> untrain people yeah, because right. we're already whole and complete from the patterns of conditioning. So we have to be willing to, to, to authentically, consciously feel the feelings that we've learned to suppress to feel those feelings that we've learned to suppress so that we can release and let them go. Because it's the pattern that we've learned to, 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 to become and the yeah. version of ourselves that we learn to become that is a form of control so that we don't have to feel that feeling ever again. And now we go through our entire life trying to avoid that feeling, which is why we end up as control freaks and control addicts. And so feeling the feelings, becoming aware, just the last thing I'll say is I think it, as a practical place where people can begin. One place I think people can start as they're listening to this conversation. Yes, become aware, observe, question yourself, question your beliefs, yeah. which can be scary, and yeah. feel those feelings that you haven't felt so that you can let them go and release the layers. But one place that people can also start, or one place that often keeps us stuck from breaking through to the next level, are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. Mm. And as human beings, we that. are constantly lying to ourselves. We stay in relationships that we know aren't right. We stay in jobs that we end up compromising our truth and integrity out of fear and out of security. And we end up wondering, why do I feel pain? To me, pain is a blessing. Pain is a gift. Pain is often a sign that we're healthy because you're not meant to lie to yourself and feel good. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. when we lie to yourself, you feel bad. And, and, yeah. and the pain is a sign that something's off. The pain is a feedback mechanism. The pain Ooh. is a sign that, that, that something inside needs your attention. Yet as human beings, what we tend to do and what we've done our whole life for the reasons I just said in terms of conditioning is we distract ourselves from the pain. We avoid yeah. the pain, disconnect, numb it away, drink it away, sex it away, drug it away, smoke it away, you know, Netflix it away, just so we don't, we don't feel the pain, but we keep ourselves stuck. So pain is a blessing. The issue is with the pain. It's are we willing to heed the message of the pain to get in touch with the deeper level of truth? And so question number one, as a mm. practical assignment that people can take is ask yourself this question. What lies am I telling myself? What lies am I telling myself? If you really want to transform, the truth will set you free. Yeah. As a kid, I, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had to tell myself the truth and tell my father the truth. And that transformed my life because I realized if I live a lie yeah. and I be who everyone wants me to be, I'm going to have to live this lie for the rest of my life, yeah, wow. you know, and that's going to create more of a disaster. If you continue in this relationship and get married, for instance, when you know it's not right, you're going to get married, get attached, have children, and then, then finally admit 20 years down the road, I made the wrong decision. I made the and wrong... it's going to be more of a mess. And so yeah. true freedom, true happiness, true joy, true aliveness, simple. Feel the truth, acknowledge the truth. It's not always easy. Yeah. Feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, tell the truth, speak the truth, live the truth, end the story, happy life. There is no transformation without truth. Truth mm -hmm. is real spiritual practice. Truth is real yoga. Truth is real 
prayer. Truth is real meditation. Truth is the transformative tool that will revolutionize your life. And if you start, if, I, I guarantee everyone, if you start telling the truth, your life will shift. Your life will change. Many of the things you are praying about and visualizing about, you know, asking the universe for help will disappear and shift. And yes, you will lose people, but rest assured that what you lose from your life, from being honest and feeling the truth and honoring yourself and telling the truth was not truly aligned with your authentic self in the first place. So what lies am I telling myself? The other thing I'll say about that is yeah. take the pressure off of yourself from having to take action. Because sometimes the pressure of having to take action makes us afraid of the consequences. My fear as a young boy was, if I really acknowledge the truth, then I have to speak to my dad, then I'm gonna lose the relationship. So I said nothing. And so sometimes the fear of the yeah. consequence, well, if I really acknowledge I'm not in love, that means I gotta get a divorce. Take the pressure of having to take action off of yourself completely and just acknowledge the truth. What that looks like is saying, I hate my job. I hate my job. You don't have to leave. You right. don't have to be drastic. Maybe you have, you know, you have five kids to support. You don't have yeah. to leave, but just acknowledge the truth. Yeah. And let the truth begin to marinate inside you. It will begin a process. I'm no longer in love with my wife. You don't have to leave, but just let that start something. It begins a process because when we when we're afraid. We go into the second part, which is we start playing this game of confusion. Yeah. I don't really know. I'm confused. I don't know what's right for me. I don't know if this relationship is right. I don't know what my purpose is. When the truth is we end up living as a safety mechanism in the smoke screen of confusion as a protective mechanism. Because for instance, if I, look, there's a part of us that knows everything. Yeah. Because at the deepest level, I we are that. everything. Yeah, we, I believe that. We know, but it's scary to know because of the consequences. So we often say, yeah. I'm not sure what my purpose is. And deep down, we know what we have an income. We have a sense. If someone put a gun to our head, we'd be like, yeah, I, have, I, I kind of have an idea. But sometimes it's safer to stay in the zone of I'm confused. I have no idea what my purpose is, because if I don't know, I don't have to take action. Right. If I don't know, I can always live in the safety and the comfort of, of having that future fantasy of the hope of the future fantasy without ever having to take the risk. And so what lies am I telling myself? Number two, what am I pretending to not know? Be honest. Number three, yeah. what are the lies that I'm telling myself costing me? Mm. What is it costing me? And well, as I okay. said, feel the pain, feel the burn. It's meant to be painful. But if you distract from that and you numb from that, you will end up staying stuck. Feel the pain of the lie. And that starts moving you to that next level. And so I think the truth is a place that people can start. Wow, that is so beautiful. And you know, as you're telling all of us this, I go back to just the the experience you had with your father. That's exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. You actually started telling yourself the truth. And then you looked at it as a blessing and then you started doing something about it and it set you free Semi in that area, man. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so man, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Sure. Um, you, you talk about, uh, how important it is knowing who we are. Mm. How does someone who's listening to this right now, if, if they're like, I have no clue who I am, 
how does someone kind of get to that point where they can figure that out? Like, is there certain start, things they can do? Start, start with the truth. Okay. Start telling you the know, truth. Start with yeah. the truth because we're conditioned to lie. Yeah. Society conditions us, you know, to lie mm -hmm. because we get distracted by advertising and media and told who we are all the time and what to believe. So we don't know if what we believe is what we believe. It's just often yeah. been what we've been told to believe, what we've been programmed to believe by society, by education, by religion, by television, by advertising and, and media. I often say media, apart from podcasts like this, yeah. you know, <laughs> has no interest in you knowing who you are. Yeah. Advertisers have no interest in you knowing who you are, because when you know who you are, a spark of the infinite, a divine being, pure, whole, perfect, lovable, complete, then you're free. Oh. And when you're free, you can't be manipulated with fear. When you're free, then you don't look at a commercial. The commercial says, ah, you're not enough commercials that prey prey yeah. on your pain you're exactly. not enough you're not enough you're not enough but if you just wear this underwear if you just drink this drink <laughs> if you just you know right. have this new phone if you just get this car then you're going to be enough it's going to cost you two hundred dollars you know two thousand dollars two hundred thousand dollars whatever it is and so we're constantly being hypnotized and seduced to yeah. to in this matrix to go to sleep and go into i call it a coca coma and forget who we are and think that we are just this physical body. We are just this mind-body mechanism and we are just this conditioned set of patterned, yeah. structured, you know, uh, combination that we've learned to become from a level of conditioning that I described earlier, that we're, we're, we're kind of conditioned to believe that's who we are. And I'm actually saying that what you are that's not who you are. Yeah. What you are is so much more. And so we have to start questioning the question. And it can, here, here's why it can be very scary to question. Because we become this version of ourselves that I talked about earlier, right? Yeah, through conditioning. Right. And then yeah. we hold tightly to this version of ourselves. And this way of working helped protect us when we were five years old yeah. and 10 years old and 15 years old. And now we go through life and we become success. We become successful being yeah. tough. We become successful being aloof. We become successful being driven. And we become successful saying, Dad, I'm going to prove to you that, that, that I'm enough. And yeah. now we become motivated. So now our entire life has been created often on a certain pattern of conditioning and survival yeah. mechanism to get love validation approval to avoid pain. And now to question, there always comes a point typically, which is why people often end up to me, is, is what helped you function and survive, maybe when you're 20, maybe when you're 30, maybe when you're 40, maybe when you're 50, maybe when you're 60, at some point, often through pain, you reach a limit of what it can do. You reach the limitation of that way of living. Yeah. What ended up protecting you ends up limiting you. And so what we have to be willing to do is question. It can seem scary to question ourselves because we are so identified with ourselves yeah as being this, we'll call it ego. And that's what ego is. Ego is our sense of identification, the degree to which we are identified with our set pattern of conditioning, our yeah. stories, our memories, yes. our beliefs, our traumas, our experiences. This yeah. is me. This is me. This is just who I am. So the reason it's scary is because to question this version of ourselves can feel 
unsettling, can yeah, feel sure. can feel like a death. Yeah, <laughs> and, for sure. and that's where the ego, yeah. this condition set a pattern, the ego's job is to reinforce its existence. Yeah. And that's, that's why we fight change. Yep. That's why we fight the unknown. That's yeah. why we fight often going outside of our comfort zone because we are stuck in this pattern of me. And so first we have to realize that we are not this body. We are not our feelings. We are not our emotions. We are not our belief systems. We are not our thoughts. All these things change that what we are is more. And I think when we start to question all these things, who am I? What am I? What do I believe? Is what I believe what I really believe? And, and what would I say if I didn't need to say what I've been told to say? And what would I believe if I didn't need to believe what I've been told to believe? Do I really believe that? And so the more we can start questioning ourselves so that we can start finding out the deeper truth within, that's when the loosening of one's self-identification happens. Yeah. And, and then we can start to expand our identity. And I think one of the, you know, one of the blessings of the last two years of the pandemic, as challenging as it was, yeah. is it shocked everybody out of a complacency. That's it shocked true. everyone out of a out of a, a conditioned way of living where we were living the same, oh, we were living in a comfort zone, we were living doing yeah. the same thing, which so then true. reinforces our sense of self. And now we don't have to question ourselves. And now when life is uncertain, when you can't go to work, when you've been fired, when you've been laid off, when you're in lockdown, all of these things, now in lockdown at home, you can't run from yourself, you're stuck with yourself. I think on a spiritual level, the gift of the last two years, if you really went through the, the, the classroom that the universe put us through, as a human species, we were forced to go within. We couldn't go out. We couldn't go out. We couldn't go out and wear what we wore. We couldn't go out and get our egos reinforced. We had to question. Right. And yeah. if I'm not that, and if I'm not that, and if I'm not my job, if I'm not my bank account, if I'm not my, if I'm not my goals, if I'm not my, if I'm not those things, then who am I? Yeah. And I think that is the question we have Beautiful. to really ask. Like, yeah. who am I really? You know, and so beautifully said in terms of the truth, you have to want the truth more than you want what you have. Mm. And you have to want the truth wow. more than you want what you want. You see, freedom isn't free. Right. Freedom will require that you let go of that old version of yourself. Freedom will require that you let go of those beliefs. Freedom will require the next level of your life requires the next level of you. And the next level of you requires that you let go of who you were, requires that you let go of everything that is no longer in alignment yeah. with your higher self, with where you're going. But often as human beings, for the reasons I expressed, conditionings we hold on to the old out of safety out of comfort yeah. out of self-preservation but holding on to the old just keeps us stuck yeah and we end up blocking our blessing we end up blocking our evolution we end up blocking our ability to receive more from life and so it does take courage to let go but it's in in the willingness to question ourselves right. which i think is the 
It's the purpose of life. Yeah. We, to me, we are souls. First and foremost, we're souls. And as souls, we incarnate into this human experience. And to me, life is a classroom. Life is, is, is a university. Yeah. And life is a school for our yeah. soul's evolution. And if that's the case, if we start seeing life, first, if we start understanding that I'm a soul, having a human experience, I incarnate in order to learn to grow. And I see life as a school. That means every situation, every experience, every relationship, everything we go through is really part of the curriculum and the classroom for my soul's evolution. When we start seeing life that way, then every moment of life becomes an opportunity and invitation to know who we are some more. Damn. And I think the degree uh, to which we can learn the lessons in any given situation, in any relationship, in any experience, the degree to which we can learn the lessons, we can grow and evolve, realize more of who we are, that's success. That's success. And yeah. that is the purpose of life. The purpose of life is your growth and evolution and every moment of your life is serving every heartbreak, every death, every betrayal, every bankruptcy, every failure, every experience is ultimately serving your evolution to help you, me, awaken yeah. to who are you, you know? Love and I think that. that that's, so every moment is really a, an opportunity really to, yeah. to question ourselves if we're looking from that lens. Yeah, man, I love your passion. <laughs> like I can feel it, man. And anyone listening to this can feel this, mm. you know, you, you've, you've written a couple books yes. and I want, I want you to talk about if someone wants to reach out to you and, and know more about what you do, how can they get to your books? I know you got one launching here soon. You, yeah. You the, the, talk the, about the, that. The, the, the first book is you are the one mm -hmm. my first baby that on <laughs> Amazon. Uh, the book I'm really passionate about now is, is called the magic of surrender. Just for those that want to know more, uh, it's available on Amazon. Go to Amazon, get it. Okay. Depending on when people listen to this conversation, May the 3rd, the paperback book comes out, the paperback version. And for those that get the paperback, uh, pre-order the paperback before May the 3rd. On May the 7th, I'm doing a very special virtual uh, live online event uh, on May the 7th, 9.30 Pacific time. It's a okay. Saturday. It's called Reinvent Life. And it's a two-hour deep dive live virtual seminar where I'm going to walk you through the different phases of how to reinvent yourself, how to let go of the old version of yourself, how to connect with your authentic power, and how to share your gifts with the world. And so all people need to do is go to Amazon, pre-order the book, and then go to this website, which is my name, www.kutblacksonbla. CKSON, trying to remember my own name, kubblackson.com yeah. <laughs> forward slash reinvent seminar. Basically, when you when you pre-order the book before May the 3rd, you go there, there's a section there, just enter your name, email, and receipt. You get access to a bunch of free gifts, and you also get a free ticket to come to the May the 7th event. So everyone Dang. do that. If you want amazing. To know, yeah, if you want to know more about uh, my, my work, my website, kublaxon.com, Instagram, yeah. Facebook. Also, if someone wants to go on a deeper dive and transform twice a year, I do an event in Bali. I don't do the India journeys anymore. I do an event right. in Bali. It's called Boundless Bliss Bali, where I take about 18 to 20 people to Bali on a deep dive, 12-day, uncoaching, transformational process. And so... 
That's www.boundlessblissbali.com. Wow. And so, but I'm really excited about, yeah, boundlessblissbali.com. I'm really excited about the Magic of Surrender book, just simply because I think surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. Yeah. I think surrender is the key to real manifestation. Surrender is the key to real freedom. Surrender is the key to our next level. But if you look at the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, yeah. Bruce yeah. Lee, Muhammad Ali, Martin Luther King, they all surrendered themselves to life, to their souls, to a mission and a purpose that was bigger than them. And it was in surrendering themselves that they transcended the their egoic human limitations yeah. and they tapped into a deeper dimension of their own true potential and life was able to manifest through them. And so I think in our culture today, we have this idea that surrender is weak and surrender yeah. is passive. Right. And that if you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires It's giving up It's waving the white flag. And all I'm really saying through the book is if you surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more? You got, you, you got more than you could have imagined with your own mind. And that's yeah. why the book is called The Magic of Surrender. Magic mm -hmm. being that which is beyond your wildest dreams <laughs> and beyond what you could yeah. imagine. We all want magic, but we often don't want to surrender. Yeah. And, and the real equation is you want magic, you've got to surrender. you got to do it's, it. And, and it's when you, when you surrender that you experience more magic in your life. And so yeah. anyway, I could go on and on, but... Yeah. but but that's the essence. No, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough, Coot, for some taking some time today to come talk to us. You're amazing. I love what you're doing. Um, I I challenge everyone and and please go check out his website, CootBlackson.com, and go get his books and get the one before May third, so you can get a part of that uh, that two hour deep dive experience deep dive. With, yeah. with, with you. I like that, the deep dive. But you have given us just so many true and beautiful nuggets. And I love what you said about the power of truth and also yes. how pain is a gift. Pain is a blessing. And just the way you described your upbringing and basically kind of your story around your dad, that was beautiful. So thanks for being vulnerable with us today. And just keep being this light in this world because we need more of it. Thank you, man. I appreciate your energy and just you hold a, uh, an awesome space. Thank you. That means a lot. So thanks for joining us, Coot. Hey, um, well, I told you, everyone, you're gonna you're in for a real treat today. Coot Blackson is an amazing person. And I love you guys for tuning in. Please share this with everyone you know. Let's get this out to as many people as possible. And that's how we keep growing. And the more light we can share, um, the better off we are, not only individually, but as a as a collective uh, community who uh, are all connected. We love you guys. And until next time, all right? Take care, everyone.